it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's the first of our festive episodes. If you were listening on Monday, you will know that we were honest enough to admit that we recorded four on Sunday night. Um, I'm just about recovered, Kieran, (laughs) as I was doing the festive drinking for both of us during that marathon treat. So, um... All our pods uh, over Christmas are questions, except for this one, which is a treat, Kieran. It's an interview uh, that you did with Wickham Wanderers majority shareholder Rob Kuhig. Uh, and it's a treat for those of you listening who don't like the sound of my voice because I'm not in the rest of this pod. So, Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Rob Kuhig, uh, through his company Feliciana EFL, brought the majority stake from Wickham uh, in early 2020 from the Supporters Trust and Kieran spoke to him last week. Rob, thanks so much coming on the show. I, I, I know we're a few hours different. You're, you're back in the States. How, how are things back there at present? Well, everything is terrific. I mean, we have the usual uh, arguments at government level. We have our our state that has its own issues because we're still recovering from a terrible hurricane we had four months ago. Um, but for the vast majority of us, life is good and we're getting ready for the holidays. Terrific, terrific. So you woke up one day and you decided to buy a football club. What did, what did your wife say? Well, she wasn't overly excited, I think is a fair statement. And and really, we were talking about the history of this the other day. I think it stemmed from a Thanksgiving lunch where my family, all 60 of us, gather. And we brag and boast and we scream and yell and we argue about politics. And somewhere along the line, my brother, Kevin, who's a huge Liverpool fan, been going back and forth for 40 years watching them. And my nephew, Pete, started egging me on about I didn't know anything about the sport. And I said, well, it's not that hard. I'll go buy a team. I'll prove it to you guys. And they said, well, you can't buy a team. Well, they never should have said that. Uh, I immediately, uh, this is so, this is probably four or five years ago. I wrote to Portsmouth. I wrote to Plymouth. I wrote to, I want to say Oxford and a couple of others. Obviously on the Portsmouth thing, the Mouse King beat me out. In Plymouth, uh, a guy who is a terrific owner. Uh, came in and beat me out. 
Um, and in Oxford, we went up after the Chelsea Flower Show, looked at the facility, saw the lease, and my good friend who she works for Madison Square Garden, she looked at the lease and said, if you do this thing, I will never talk to you again because the lease was so bad. So we thought we were out in a, in a broker, really interested guy, uh, called me by the name of Mark Palmer and said, why don't you come see Yobel? And again, I met with Mark and my best friend. He and I have invested in things together for 40 years. And when we got walked out of the meeting with him, my friend Dick said to me, under no circumstances am I investing in that. Do not use my name. Do not act like I'm involved in this. I said, Dick, we've done everything together for 40 years. He says, you're not hearing me. I'm out. But Missy and I went down, made the trip to Yobel. We really liked Yobel. You know, it's a terrific area of the country. The people down there could not have been nicer. Uh, but and, and we they were in financial trouble. So we lent them some money, which was when she first started to understand maybe this thing was sliding away from her and towards what Rob wants to do. Uh, we couldn't get that deal together and we thought we were out. We came back over. We looked and talked to various people, including your friends up in Bari. And, and I got to tell you, that was the weirdest conversation I've ever had in my life, just by phone. We went up and looked at Grimsby. I did. And I didn't think it was going to work for me geographically. Uh, and, and I'm driving back and I got a call that said, would you come and look at the Wickham team? And I said, only if it's on the way to the airport. At which point they assured me it was. I went and the people could not have been nicer. And um, they were an extremist. They had, they were negotiating, as you know, with three Dutch super players about buying the team, but that fell through. And I came, I was in New Orleans and I got a call. And they said, if you're still interested, we would like to talk to you. And I said, I'll be there in the morning. And I got on the plane and I flew over. We did the deal. I gave them, I lent them some money. And, and then weirdly, we had to campaign to get up, be allowed to buy the team uh, because we needed a vote of the shareholders uh, who were, you know, it's, it's, I know you're a big proponent of, uh, of clubs that are owned in part, at least by the fans. They are a fan. They were a fan-owned club, 100%. They're now 25% uh, shareholders. I think it's a good model for a lot of folks. Uh, they have a couple of things in the Constitution that make it very difficult. We can't move. We can't change the colors. There's some things that matter a lot to them. But we can do other things that matter to me that we can make money on. So that's the, the whole history of Rob Kuig and the EFL. Terrific, terrific. So having owned the club now for a period of time, is it, would you describe it as a high risk investment or an expensive hobby? That's a great question. Uh, I bought the team on February 22nd, uh, 2020. I went over and I watched us play one game. We lost to Middleborough. No, no, uh, we lost to Doncaster. And then, I came home and they shut it down. At that point, it was not a high risk investment. It was an easy loss. Uh, 
I, we were really confounded. We were helped, though, by tremendous support from the fans, as most clubs were. Uh, you couldn't have asked the fans to do more. We had our coach or our manager and players who really stepped up. Um, I got into a little argument with my friend Dara McAnthony because there were a group of guys who wanted to continue to play with no fans, and I was opposed to it. My experience from hurricanes and other disasters was when, some, when you're in a hole, stop digging. And uh, so we did that, but, but we got fortunate. There was a playoff. We made it into the championship. We had, uh, we had good insurance coverage. We were one of few clubs that had business interruption that ultimately took them a year to pay, but we, we got paid. We, we did some pretty dramatic things in terms of uh, not laying off people. We tried to be sensitive, but to use the government programs, we became very judicious in what we did. We put off most of our purchases until we had cash flow. So I, I think it has been a hobby that I have truly enjoyed because I love the business of business. And you could not have asked for a more dramatic sense uh, group of challenges than we had. So uh, today, I don't know, uh, it hadn't caught, I mean, it's cost us more than we had planned. It's gonna cost us a little bit more, I think, but we, we are, online to delivering in my mind what we set out to do a club that's going to play in the most technologically advanced stadium in the uk that will deliver revenue from the world that will bring to the world and frankly bring to the uk an understanding of how important english football is in the sports financial world and so for me, at age 70, that's kind of a charge, you know, that I'm getting a kick out of. Now, I'm not liking the planes. Let me go on record saying I'm done with flying back and forth for another two weeks. Terrific. Terrific. I mean, you mentioned there um, Wickham were promoted to the championship. Um, what, in your experiences, were, were the biggest differences? I mean, you, you, know, you, you went from owning a football club for a fortnight before crowds to a lockdown situation, to promotion, and uh, what 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 did you notice uh, in in terms of of the challenges within the championship, both financially, but also in in terms of sort of the, the general feel for that division? Because you're so much, you're so close to the Premier League and all of the glamour that that brings. Well, the the first thing I noticed, of course, we'd never we played two games. I want to say the entire year in front of fans. So for the Wickham fans who have been waiting for 133 years for this opportunity, it was unrequited love. Uh, For us as a team, we realized that we would be receiving, uh, you know, four times as much money in league payments and additional media payments and the like. So we set out and said, what can we do that will allow us to compete? And yet, use this money to build the club. So it was a, there are those who I think criticize us for not spending more on the team. We just missed promotion. And I, I don't think we missed promotion. I think we were denied promotion or, or staying up and we got relegated. Uh, 
but it wasn't because we didn't have the right players. Over the second half of the season, uh, our record was in the top half of all teams. In the last 10 games, it was in the top six. So I can justify our players. I think the mistake we made was we didn't understand we were championship level. They said, when you go from where we were to there, there's a sightseeing tendency. Oh my gosh, look at us playing Milford, or what, you know, the, the, the Watford and all those guys. Oh my gosh, how can we be playing the big boys? Well, you are a big boy. So the financial world is, though, and I know that's what you're about, is night and day different than League One or League Two. Very little difference because I studied League Two when I was looking at you over in League One. You know, there's a particle of difference, but not much. It is a quantum leap up to the championship in terms of the money that's available, the money that's expected to be spent, and that golden orb at the end. What do we do? Do we make a shot at it? Do we make a run for it? Do we put all of our chips on the table? And everybody, I don't care who they are, they think about it because you can't not think about it. But the play, I got to tell you, the play, and Pete knows play better than me, the play in the championship, I want to, I believe, is comparable to or better than all but possibly three or four leagues in the world, yeah. and particularly the depth. Yeah, no, I mean, as, as, as a supporter of a club that spent many years in, in the championship, uh, I, I always loved it. The uncertainty and, and also the that degree of forgiveness. So because no matter how bad we were on a Saturday, there was always Tuesday night. You didn't have that full week of right. misery and trying to work out because you know, I know nothing ultimately technically, but oh, the manager should have done this. No, you, 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 you finished the match. You got home on Saturday night and oh, where are we going on Tuesday? It's Huddersfield. It's Wickham. It's Middlesbrough. And, and that was always something to look forward to. So yeah, it, it's a fantastic division, a genuinely fantastic division, but also a car crash from here, yeah, from my point of view, as somebody who likes the numbers, and also the crazy thing, yeah, last season you were relegated. We'll come on to that in more depth, but but you still you still broke even. The, the previous season, the only side that made a profit was Rotherham. They got relegated as well. And it's this uh, this, this paradox of, of football is that if you run the club as a sustainable business, it comes with high risks in, in terms of football success. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier about trying to trying to monetize the club to to to, to bring it into a wider sphere what what are your projects what are your proposals there well we have we one of the first things i did is we hired a global ambassador a worldwide ambassador for us to get us into different places to make sure that um, we are exposed throughout the world uh, we, we have a Spanish following now that's, I, I suspect, probably in the top 10 or 11 of all clubs in England because we are aggressively going after it. Uh, because we, we market constantly to the entire world. We call it the worldwide Wickham phenomenon. And, and basically, and I, I can admit to this, part of me got excited by it originally by the alliteration effect, but we knew we wanted to be out there. Uh, let me give you an example of how it works, though. When we first bought the club, they were not doing even in six figures on merchandise. 
Last year, we doubled there, and this was in our first year of operation. We doubled what the club had been doing. This year, we have already done all of last year in the first five months. Wow. My wife, who has a big hand in it, told me that we're now selling between 15 and 18% overseas, overseas being overseas from the UK, which is huge. Uh, Harry Gadd, who runs our overseas program, we now have a, a Spanish following, as I say, where we do special promotions for them. They're coming in. We have a lady who's now working with our global program who's a, who is fluent in Russian. And you say, well, and, and let's be honest, there's not a lot of Russian followers. But the point is, we want everybody to understand. And, and my, my bone of contention with the EFL is I don't think they have a clue how universally accepted English football is. The, the part, of the, part of it is the existential exercise of playing in a league where you can be put out of business, in effect, if you don't play well. In America, that's a reality show that people would pay to see. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, and so we do that. In our stadium, we have the finest Wi-Fi system now in the U.K., we went in and brought in landways and we, we set it up so that all 10,000 of our fans can be watching the uh, Liverpool game at the same time, or they can be doing, and it's all free Wi-Fi. Uh, we, we've gone into a system where you can order food and drink from your, your place. So everything is geared around understanding we are a content provider. Brilliant. I know Brilliant. that's anathema to a lot of our soccer uh, football fans. Yeah, yeah, I think fo football in this country, it, its history is an amazing thing, but sometimes the history dictates how the clubs behave today. And, and I think that, you know, from what, what, what you're saying, you're, you're, embracing, you're embracing the modern benefits. Yeah, it, it would be good to be able to order from your seat. Um, it, go, going to some of the biggest grounds in the country, you know, my, my side, Brighton, we're, we're playing at Old Trafford. On Saturday, the Wi-Fi there within within a half a mile is, is impossible, right. and 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 it's not as if that 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 number of people are, are only going to be there once a year. They're, they're there you know, once every ten days, so you would think that people would realise this and and the benefits, you know, especially if you, if you can utilise those from a club's point of view. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's ten minutes to go and somebody scores a goal, and you put special promotion. If you buy this guy's shirt, we're going to give you a ten percent discount on the way out. You know, for me. That, that's marketing 101, but football doesn't seem to want to embrace it. Well, the good news is lots of premier clubs and championship league clubs are now visiting us with regularity to study our system. I take some pride. Terrific. Well done. Absolutely superb. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. 
You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This season, you're playing back in League One. You're having a good season. Yeah, uh, things looking yes. good. You were relegated uh, at the end of last season, and I think it's fair to say you you weren't happy about those circumstances. Could you sort of expand upon where you feel you you've been wronged and the role of Derby County and Mel Morris and the EFL and so on? Well. Let's start with the football side. We we were relegated by a single point. Uh, and, if, and if I was just a complainer, I would point out that when we played Derby, we ended up tying them rather than beating them because an official who later admitted he made a mistake called offsides on our guy who scored a goal that would have been the winning goal, providing two points. But that's football. Nothing can be done about it. However... One of the reasons we invested in the UK is because it follows the law and it's easy to understand the rules and regulations, or I thought it was. But with with Derby, they systematically set about this program, this accounting scheme that, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to look at it and say, this is, if, if every other team is doing it differently, you're only doing it for one reason, and that's to game the system. Nobody has ever really, to my knowledge, from Derby ever said why they did it. And that because the only reason is to game the system. So they knew they were doing it. The, the EFL, and I'm a defender of them in some ways because they are burdened by their own sort of network of rules and regulations. And they're made up of their constituent members. And so it's hard for them. They did what they could, but the whole thing dragged on and on and on. But my grievance with Darby is this. There was a ruling that said they had to turn in their financials. They deliberately tried to get that date postponed and postponed as much as possible because they knew the moment they did, they would be on its face, a prima facie uh, case that they should have points deducted during that season. Knowing that if they were deduct, if they would push back the league one, they'd have more trouble selling the club. They held off putting in their financials until it was too late. If they had put them on the day before the season started, we could have switched places, uh, but they chose not to. And so that's my grievance. I mean, look, the Derby fans, I feel sorry for them. 
But at the end of the day, everybody in Derby was complicit in this scheme. Everybody knew they were overspending. If you find me a Derby fan who says he did not know they were overspending, Diogenes has found his partner. Right. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, the, the Derby issues have always looked strange. And, and as you're right, you know, I, there, there is nobody in football wants that club to go out of business. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my view is that Mr. Morris uh, knew what he was doing all, all, all along. And uh, yeah, it, it certainly goes against the spirit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, very, very sad circumstances. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, Wickham have, you know, when, when you came, to, came on board, the, the, it was a fan-owned club. And there are both merits and demerits to being a fan-owned club, has always been my view. Uh, because right. there's there's a natural ceiling to the level of investment. There's not necessarily the the right mix of experiences on the board because people do it because they're fans first and uh, wanting to be on the board. Uh, whereas necessarily, you, you know, under normal circumstances for any business, you're looking for people with a particular skill set in communications, in marketing, in finance, in HR, and so on. That's not always going to be the case with a fan-led club, although many of them are doing a fantastic job. Um, We've just had the uh, Tracy Crouch fan-led review. We've interviewed Tracy uh, for for our podcast. She's, she she gave up a lot of her time, and 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 we we have a very high opinion of her as football fans. As a club owner, what's your take on it? I have yet to find anything the government regulates that does better than people following the law. My. I could be wrong, but in the UK, you have a system of regulation against theft. Today, somebody is committing a crime and stealing something. So I don't think just turning to a regulator. And it's always, Tracy appears to me to be a, an excellent person. We were stuck during the lockdown with a guy who had no understanding of football, regulating who could go to our games and not, allowing people to go to theaters indoors, but not letting them go to football. So who is the regular? Is it going to be a buddy of yours that we think is good for football or a friend of Mel's who we, we're not sure is good for football? I think that, that these are much better system, a very simple system, which I know people who want owners to put money into clubs and buy Messi to come play for them uh, wouldn't support, but it works. To me, it would be very simple. All clubs play with the same hand. If you're in League One or, or League Two, you get from the league your share of the media and the share of the revenue that the league has generated. And so all 24 clubs have exactly the same amount of money to spend. Same is true in League One. Same is true in championship. And the same is true in the, in the premiership. Very much similar to the NBA or Major League Baseball. And I know people say, well, that's not how we do it. If you don't do something similar to that, then the Mel Morrises of the world, I don't care what system you put up, are going to continue it about. As long as you say an owner can manipulate the team, not by shrewd investment, not by building a system, but by going out and finding a kid who's playing in France and paying him seven million pounds more, than, than everybody else because he's going to take a shot at getting to the Premier League where he can make money. 
I think you're doomed. So a very simple system that allows everybody to know day one. And you say to yourself, well, that may be true for Wickham Rob because they don't have a big fan base. They have a relatively small thing. Is that really fair comparing them? Let's use Darby to a Darby. My, my attitude is different. If I make additional money other than what the club has receiving from the league, you put it into development of young players. You really want to build young players in England? Find the money. The second thing that would be beneficial, I think, to the sport is for the first time people would actually look at the teams as reasonable investments to go back to your first question. Is it a reasonable investment? It is if I People laughed at me when I first walked over there and I said, what's the multiple of EBITDA that we pay for these teams? <laughs> and, and they looked at me like you're looking at. Me. I mean, like, what is wrong with you guys? Nobody makes money on the teams. Fundamentally, there's nothing wrong with making money if you want something to prosper. And so I think if you put in a simple system like that, it may be that you tweak it a little bit with other revenue streams and the like. But if we knew, because here's what's getting ready to happen. Over the next three years, the amount of money available to English football, if we play it the right way and do it the right way, from media, from worldwide exposure and the like, is probably going to double, if not triple. So your League One could have a $3 million um, wage bill instead of the million and a half that's sort of tacitly in there now. League two would be closer to five or six. The championship, and this is where it gets hard because clubs wouldn't be able to spend 180% of their revenue and then wonder why they're in trouble when the guy says, you know what, it's been fun, but not that much fun. I'm not paying anymore. Uh, they, would, they would be closer to 60 or 70 million and then graduate up. Takes care of your parachute payments, everything. It makes it simple. And the players are working for you at that point because they want the revenues to go up from the media. They want the revenues to go up from merchandise worldwide. They want it all to go. And so everybody's in it together. Uh, and you could have, and, and of course, when I'm lying there late at night and I'm, I've decided to be czar of, of football for the day, I would bring the national conference into it too, because I think people forget how vital they really are to English football writ large. Uh, and so there's a way to take care of everybody, not by having the government do it, but by having responsible uh, sharing of the wealth. Absolutely. I, I did actually do some modeling for an organization which included uh, exactly what you suggested. Uh, the, you know, I took a look at the NFL model where, where gate receipts are shared, 60, 40 merchandisers shared as well and showed the numbers. Um, but I was accused of being a communist. <laughs> nobody's ever accused me of being a communist. What you have to do, though, is you have to recognize the industry you're in. Our industry is unique. Our industry depends on the players being satisfied. Your industry is in particular because you're assaulted from the guys in France or Germany or Italy who uh, or in soon to be in Japan or North, South Korea or whatever. Uh, but you... you you just need to have people understand if President Kennedy said it best, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if we're all in this boat together, a Derby situation is much less likely to happen. 
a Bari situation, look, there's always going to be people who steal, cheat, and you're going to create problems. But what I'm talking about is the integrity of the game and making it worldwide better. You're going to be shocked. And England will have an industry that it can be proud of. It already is, but will be recognized throughout the world. Absolutely. Rob, thank you so much for giving up your time. Uh, I hope you and the family have a great Christmas. You all stay safe. Uh, I, I met your nephew, Pete at the football supporters awards a uh, couple of weeks ago he was uh, he he was great company and I, and I think he was the person that initiated this this conversation which has been an absolute pleasure for me so thank you for everything and good luck for the rest of the season and take care thank you very much and we'll keep listening he's uh, <clears throat> he sounds like a fascinating maker and I have to say <laughs> yes, he, he doesn't hold back. And really? uh, if we thought that Tracy Krauss, Crouch was a communist, well, <laughs> Rob, who, who who comes across as not being left-wing necessarily, um, his idea of splitting the money, uh, once you know which teams are in which division, splitting the money pretty evenly, and then it all comes down to how good you are at coaching and how good you are at football – uh, was 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 fascinating, uh, and yeah, there's there's actually a lot of merit in it because you could end end up therefore with a club such as Manchester United or Liverpool, or Chelsea getting relegated, which would be fantastic for the EFL Championship. So you know the EFL always saying, well, we've we've got not, not got enough money coming in. If, if they've if they've got a couple of the the, the the massive clubs down in their division for a season or two, that's that's going to even things up there. So um, yeah, it, it was it was great to talk to. Really good company. I met his nephew Pete at the Football Supporters Association Awards mm. uh, a few weeks ago, and. Uh, uh, I said, you know, do you, do you fancy coming on? Or he says, oh, well, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll get the main man. And uh, right. yeah, Rob was an absolute delight. <clears throat> We've talked about this right from the start of the pod, Kieran. The contradiction inherent in American sports, in that you have the comp- the country that is, you know, proud to be the most capitalist country in the world, and yet their sport is run on more or less democratic lines, isn't it? You know, distribution of wealth. So yeah, yeah, albeit with the proviso, there's no relegation but it's it, it, I, I'm, I'm surprised it's something that we haven't looked at in more detail in, in terms of ways of financing our game well it it, it does sound great in in some ways but but let's be honest you know you and I support Palace and Brighton and we we would be beneficiaries from that potentially um and the thing about American sport is it is geared that everybody makes money yeah, and it was one one of the things. You know, one of the reasons why this show is still going is because in English football, eighty percent of the clubs are losing money. So, uh, because they've got the franchise system, because they've got the locked in divisions and so on, it it does work. Yeah, having a having a draft system for players, for example, would, would be fascinating. You have got some of the yeah you know, the, the really promising sixteen and seventeen year olds coming through. Uh, so yeah, lots. Uh, Lots of entertaining stuff, and uh, yeah, American sport is is culturally uh, and socially very different to to what, what we've experienced in our lives. Yeah, I know what would happen if we had a draft system here. Somebody from Palace would get overexcited and bid everything we've got, and some kid from Torquay University, and that would be it. Um, they, he bought the club from the supporters, essentially, didn't he? From the supporters trust, yeah. It must have been a big decision by those supporters to sell to somebody who is a comparative 
stranger who'd only been involved with the club, I think, for seven or eight months. Do you think the club is in uh, safer hands? Not safer hands. Do you think the club has a better financial future, is more secure being owned by Rob Keogh than it was being owned by the fans? Well, I think this is a, a, a really intriguing issue because I spoke to some people at the trust at the time of the deal and I said, you know, come on, guys, what's going on? And they said, we've got bills to pay, or rather the football club has got bills to pay. The football club's not got any money and we're a bunch of fans, so neither have we. So you know, how do things go forward? So so Robert's come in. Um, he, you know, if, if you listen to some of the things which he's embraced from a commercial point of view, Wickham is, is very much punching above its weight. So uh, I, th- I think he is innovative. He's, he's very enthusiastic, and it's it's intriguing to, to see what is happening. You know, they, they were relegated uh, last season. Uh, they they did make profits in the in the championship, which is unheard of. Um, but then again, he he'd done some of the really smart things, such as taking out business interruption insurance, because sometimes strange events do occur in the world, and and that's the whole purpose of insurance. And uh, you know, he he had the foresight to uh, to take that into consideration. So um, yeah, fascinating guy. I, I think is is you know. I, I, I thought his heart's in the right place. He he wants he wants Wickham to uh, you know be be competitive, um, and it, it can't do with its natural fan base. So let's go out and find a new fan base. Uh, and, and certainly, sort of the internationalisation of Wickham was was intriguing. Henning Vane, uh, very funny, very wrong German comedian, <laughs> uh, now based in South London. When he first came to England, uh, had a job in the commercial department at Wickham. Really? Uh, yes, he did. Uh, it was his first job uh, in England as he was making his way as a stand-up. He was working full-time for Wickham's commercial department and, of course, he embraced Wickham as his English club and the first away game he turned up at 5 o'clock in the morning uh, in the car park to get on the coach with eight <clears throat> giant cans of lager and was told that you weren't allowed to drink on coaches to away games. And he said that was the first time he thought that he'd made a terrible mistake moving to this country. <laughs> uh, he's still a big advocate for Wicked Wonders and also he's probably somebody who should get on the pod because he, nobody knows more about German football. He used to be a journalist for Zu Deutsche Zeitung. So oh, yes. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. really interesting about the, uh, the contrast between English and German football. Uh, the trouble is if we do get him on, he would be very likely to say things that the producer guy would have a heart attack at. There'd be a lot <laughs> well, of all the more reason for having him on then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you would like to make a small monthly contribution to our Always Free to Air pod, then please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. As I say, we recorded this episode last Sunday, the 19th. We don't know what's currently happening in our country or in the country where you live, but I hope wherever you are, you are able to be with your loved ones and have a happy and peaceful Christmas. Uh, All of us here at The Price of Football wish you the very best for Christmas Day and beyond. Absolutely. The Price of Football.
that provides some football.